The Low Post is presented by Amazon Music. Did you know you could be listening to this episode of The Low Post ad-free on Amazon Music? And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast on a Monday morning in Chicago. A slightly delayed podcast due to some travel snafus, but those travel snafus allowed me to watch the entirety of the much-anticipated much anticipated. Game 7 between the Boston Celtics and the Philadelphia 76ers. And my fellow patrons at the Little Westchester Airport coffee shop were probably concerned for the mental health of the person banging his head on the table when Joel Embiid and James Harden combined for a backcourt violation, which was the low light of a disastrous third quarter filled with turnovers and missed shots. And Jason Tatum... With one of the greatest performances in the history of the Boston Celtics franchise. And think about what that sentence means. The history of the 17-time world champion. World's champion. World or world's champion? I don't know. Boston Celtics. 51 points. Zero turnovers. Just a bonanza from the field. And broke the Philadelphia 76ers defense in the third quarter. Broke it. Broken. When at Joel Embiid, you drop back, I'm crossing you over. You switch, I'm stepping back for a three. You blitz, I'm hitting Marcus Smart in the short roll, and he's going to kick to Al Horford, he's going to do this and that, and we're going to get another open three. You go zone, I'm hitting a three. No answers for Jason Tatum, an all-time great performance. And the latest in a series, I just don't even know what to say anymore about either guy. About either guy. The best thing I could say about James Harden in an elimination game was that he was 3 of 11 instead of 2 of 11. 2 of 11 has kind of been his like jackpot number in these games. 3 of 11, 5 turnovers, 9 points after a series in which the final tally will read two incredible games, including the greatest of his career in the playoffs in game one without Embiid. One normal game and four absolute stinkers. And Joel Embiid, 5 of 18, continuing a trend in which A, his teams lose in the second round, and B, he underperforms his regular season statistics, often by a lot, and we're whatever years into this, and the Sixers do not have a playoff, a series, a signature playoff series win in the Embiid era. They have a bunch of cute wins over frisky or not so frisky first round teams that had no shot. And the minute they're faced with real competition, they lose. They lose in demoralizing fashion when the bracket opens up for them to the Hawks in the Simmons oh my god pass game to the Heat in a series of which Joel Embiid missed the first two games and that's a continuing theme too. But they lose to the Heat in the James Harden the ball never found me as if the ball's brain, the ball had a brain and the ball decided with the season on the line. I don't like that dude with the beard. I'm going to I'm going to veer in other directions in midair. And now after losing a chance to close the series at home in game 6 in front of a lusty and loud Philly crowd, here we go again. The Sixers are plunged into an existential crisis summer. James Harden heading into free agency, a massive flight risk. And no real cap room to replace him unless there is some major salary dumpage by the Sixers. Tim McMahon, you watched the game. You've seen the movie before. 
I know everyone's expecting me to go bananas. Like, here we go, James Harden. He's a blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I just don't even know what this, this is just what happens. This is just it now. And, and like I said, after game one, nobody will ever be able to take that away from him. That counts even if they lose the series. I said, worst case scenario, Embiid never plays. They get rolled. They lose 4-1. That game still counts because this team has the chance to win a title. And that game, stealing that game on the road before the heroics of game four, Stealing that game on the road put them in position to win this series, potentially make the finals, potentially win the title. Nothing could ever take it away. These two consecutive fart games to end this series do not take it away, but it doesn't quite mean the same when you finish like this. Where do we even want to start with this, Tim? Hi. Howdy, Hi. How are you? Howdy. Howdy. Uh you know, I would like to start with Jason Tatum and just rave about this historically spectacular performance. This guy who uh, was awful through three-plus quarters of an elimination game in game six, turned it on, a cojones factor classic, and then followed that up with 51 points. But there's going to be plenty of time to talk about Jason Tatum. He's going to be playing for at least another series, likely two more series. Just an epic Epic failure by Philly. And, like, man, like, James Harden, as you said, this is kind of what he does. Back against the wall, the guy melts. It, we've seen it time and time again. To this point in a Hall of Fame career, that is, I don't want, his legacy is a little strong, maybe, but it's certainly, when you have the conversation about James Harden, it's going to come up pretty damn early in it. And if he leaves for Houston, then he's basically saying, hey, I'm cool with that being my legacy. Winning's not that important to me. Uh, have I just want to have a whole lot of fun and no pressure and, and and run a franchise again. So, you know, that that's a decision that he has to make this summer. But we've got to talk about Embiid. And the unfortunately, injuries are a huge factor in his playoff history. This year, no exception. The guy was playing on a bad knee, but this is a, a guy who's on the path to being an all-time great and, you know, has never played in the conference finals. Uh, his, as you said, his playoff production is down significantly from his regular season production on a consistent can I read basis. The, can I read the numbers before you go? Yes, sir. This season, regular season, MVP Joel Embiid, 33 points, 10 rebounds, four assists, Three turnovers a game, 55% shooting, 33% on threes, 59% on twos. <clears throat> Playoffs Embiid, and again, dealing with a knee injury, and we don't know, we just don't know. We don't know how much it hampered him. 23.7 points, so almost 10 points lower. 10 rebounds, and here's the killer. Here's the killer. 2.7 assists, 3.9 turnovers. A wildly negative assist-to-turnover ratio. 44% shooting. 18% on threes, fine. We, we know big men threes, it goes up and down. 49% on twos. And when you're going to turn the ball over that much, 49% ain't good enough. For his career, regular season, 27-11, three and a half assists, three and a half turnovers, 50-34-54 on twos. Playoffs, 24, so three points lower, 11, three assists, Three and a half turnovers, so the total is 148 assists and 193 turnovers. 46% shooting, 
28% on threes, 51% on twos. And look, lots of stars, their numbers take a little hit in the postseason because guess what? You just play the best teams, and all those teams are doing is gearing up for you. Some stars, including the two-time MVP in Denver, don't mm-hmm. have that happen to them. Their numbers just get better. Mm-hmm. But a little ding is not atypical. That's a big ding, and it's a consistent ding in that we just keep waiting for the Embiid scorched earth playoff run, mm-hmm. and it keeps not happening, and injuries are part of it. But look, I mean, both of them, that's an all-time double dud yesterday. Please yeah, and. And and when you know when you're having the MVP discussion this year, one of the themes was man and beads a dominant defensive force. Joker's a liability on that end of the floor. Uh, I just watched Joker hold his own defensively in a series featuring two of the best scorers in the league. Now I'm not saying he was dominant, but he held his own while dominating offensively, and they spanked the Suns in six games and sent them into a summer of massive change that we'll, we'll probably get to. Later, they they put a bullseye on Embiid in Game Seven. I mean, you, you said it time after time. They're they're pick and roll and just going right at him. And a lot of those fifty one that Tatum had were right over Joel Embiid. So it's not just the offense. He, you know, he he had a really te- shockingly terrible performance on both ends of the floor in a Game Seven. And then look, you go back to Game Six. How does the MVP of the league, when you're in prime position to close out a series on your home court, just he's he's seven foot tall, 280 pounds. How do you disappear like that Thank down you. the stretch of a closeout game six? I don't understand that. Thank you. So before game seven, I was texting with, with um, a few people who are kind of close to the Sixers, and I was saying – can you imagine the level of regret that whoever loses this game will feel? Because championship chances don't come around every season. And if you're Boston, you lose game seven at home, you think back to game one, man, we 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 effed around without Joel Embiid and lost. You think back to game four, five-point lead with two minutes and change to go, all sorts of timeout and non-timeout shenanigans, puzzling defensive decisions, game winner from Harden, two games that you let slip through your fingers. And if you're Philly, you think we had the best win, the single best win of this whole era in game five in Boston, had a chance to close this baby out at home in game six, had a lead, and our offense completely the bed for six consecutive minutes. And I rewatched those six consecutive minutes twice. The big fella doesn't touch the ball. And we all know that. We all know. I went through the lack of post touches, everything with Mm -hmm. Doris last Friday. And you watch that. And you're like, whose fault is that? Isn't it everybody's fault? Isn't it Harden's fault for being like, I'm the point guard? My job is to get someone the ball. Isn't it Embiid's fault for not going into a huddle and being like, get me the ball? Me! Isn't it Doc Rivers' fault? And there's going to be all sorts of scrutiny on Doc Rivers. I don't think yesterday was on Doc Rivers. I thought the one big adjustment choice that he had to make going into that game was whether to start P.J. Tucker or not based on how they were defending. He stuck with P.J. Tucker. It was the right move. His players let him down. Now, Doc's 
Doc's record in these three one and three two series is becoming like comical. Like, is this a is this a cosmic? Is it a cosmic joke? Is it karmic revenge for the ref shenanigans that seem to happen in every one of these series every 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 year? Um, but why is why is Doc not saying, "Hold up, it's been three minutes. Get him the ball." Like, I just don't understand how a meltdown of that that type happens. And to me, it's on everybody. But to your point, that game you look back on, that's the turning point game. Because overall in this series, you want to say, you know, oh, the refs cost us a couple of points in game six. Boston was plus 62 for the series. Plus 62. They beat your ass in point differential. And yeah, you want to say... Um, well, that's because they had two blowouts and we won a bunch of close games. Yeah, over a course of a long series, that's the marker of a better team. Who wins the blowouts? Who ekes them out? And that game six, I was at the game six. I thought I was going to maybe see sort of the breakthrough moment, and instead I saw that. Mm-hmm. And, and now, Tim, James can walk. And if you don't think the teams with trade assets, like Ooh. the Knicks, for instance, oh, if you don't think 100%. the Knicks have been watching this situation – from afar. They've been watching it like this, rubbing their hands together. Are you kidding me? And I don't know what is going to happen. I know that the, the Sixers are not going to do anything with Embiid. I know that we know Daryl Morey has seven plans already in motion. Mm-hmm. Ways to maybe dump Tobias Harris or dump Corkmaz and this and that and open up this exception and that exception and you know he's been waiting for this and planning for it because he understands the crisis at hand as for Joel he loves Philly Philly loves him he loves being loved in Philly he understands what that means I think it would be very very hard for him to 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 follow the superstar like I'm really forcing my way out of here model but if James leaves, you're relying on Maxi to take a giant leap and putting some pieces together. And, I mean, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that these teams with assets are looking around saying, whoa, can we – like, if I'm the Knicks, all these Carl Anthony Towns rumors are going to start now. Mm. Forget forget that. Mm. I'm not – I have a good team if I'm the Knicks. I have Brunson. He's an awesome point guard. Like, I, why am I upending my team for Damian Lillard if Damian Lillard ever becomes available? I got right. a point guard. I'm not putting all my I, – I missed my chance on Mitchell, and that's fine. We rebounded from that. That turned out to be an okay decision. I still got all these chips. Towns ain't the guy that I'm playing those chips for. I'm waiting for the next guy. Embiid? Yes. That's the guy I'm playing all the chips for. Yeah, and and look, you can say they missed their chance for Donovan Mitchell. They decided not to go all in. They were willing sure. to go a lot in. They did not go all in because they, you know, they did the calculus or whatever you want to say and did not feel like getting Donovan Mitchell to pair with Jalen Brunson put them in a championship position. Uh, I am pretty confident in saying that they feel like putting Joel Embiid on that roster with Jalen Brunson as uh, their second best player would give them a legitimate chance to win championships. And I believe that to be true, despite the fact that what we just said about Joel Embiid and his history of, of playoff disappointments. And look, if Embiid wants to, you know, go the Dame Lillard route and be 10 toes down, respect it. You know, right. I mean, Hey, 
I respect if he if he wants to be loyal, if it means that much to him. Um, it worked out for Dirk. It took a while, but it worked what's, out what's for Dirk. What's the Dame what, – what do you think the current Dame – toe count is right now is it down to eight and a half is it nine toes do we know for sure it's 10 toes anyway listen some of the there's some hangnails on those toes right now i can tell you that those things are are, are getting beat up um but the, you know the, the other thing with Embiid is unfortunately i don't think you can project him to have an extended prime right this is a guy who's obviously had a lot of injury history really even before his career got started, but then throughout his career, he's 29 years old. What are we looking at as a window for him to play at this superstar level, at this MVP level? And if it's going to be, uh, rebuild's not even the right word, you don't rebuild, but if it's going to be like a major, uh, what, you know, whatever period of, of change, trying to get back to the point of having a chance, choose loyalty or choose a chance to to compete for a championship. That might be the decision Embiid has to make in terms of whether he goes banging on Daryl Morey's door this summer. Well, and look, to be clear, if Harden walks, and I don't know what Harden's going to God only knows. I don't know what the hell James Harden's going to do. The Rockets think he's coming, but go on. I, I know the Rockets think he's coming. I don't know what he's going to do. Right. I don't know why he would – well, I know why he would do that. He would do it for personal reasons, and that's fine. That's his prerogative. Mm -hmm. They have still about $125 million in committed salary to the guys on their roster. The cap's going to be 134, so just do the math. They have no cap space. They're going to have to dump Harris somewhere to open up any sort of replacement thing. Ironically, the only team with enough room to just absorb Tobias Harris is the Houston Rockets, who may use that room on another player. Uh, that you have already named. So, again, Daryl's been planning for this, I'm sure. He's got a million contingency plans. But this is – there will be a day to do the process autopsy and to talk mm-hmm. about Julio Okafor and Markel Fultz and Ben Simmons. And the Harden trade is still a win, obviously, for Philly. A huge win, even if James Harden walks for nothing this summer. Uh, and all of that and the Mikhail Bridges and – Zaire, Zaire, Zaire Smith? Am I forgetting his name? <laughs> I think you got it right. But it's a forgettable name. It, it ain't Macal Bridges, I'll tell you that. Well, Zaire Williams in Memphis, like, that's also another, that's also, we don't talk about that. Like, that's a big, like, imagine if the Grizzlies had Trey Murphy this year. That would kind of be, you know. They, it'd big. be a lot easier for them to, they've decided to move on from Dylan Brooks. They'd have their replacement in place. They don't right now. Um, there's a day for that. There's a mm-hmm. day for that. But right now, this is this is now a, a potentially pivotal summer for the Sixers and another just playoff disappointment. And by the way, can I tell you who I didn't want to hear from yesterday? Ben Simmons on Instagram. Ben Simmons. Ben <laughs> yes. Simmons. Delete it. Shut the laptop down, man. The, this no. is not the time for the Ben Simmons petty revenge tweets. My man, you are afraid to go into the paint and uh-uh. get fouled, and you don't play. Listen, like, not that might the, be the last playoff victory of Ben Simmons' career. Let him sit, enjoy it. Sit this one out, buddy. This is not your time to shine. Sit this one. When I saw that, I was like, I now assume everything I see is fake. I'm like, is that? Did he actually do never, that? No, never, never, ever discourage NBA internet trolling. Well, 
There is some internet behavior that we should probably discourage, and we'll talk about I that. I said trolling, in... although oh, maybe okay. that was trolling. trolling. Uh, who knows? <laughs> Look, this is all a prelude to, I think the next year in the NBA could be an unbelievable period mm. of superstar and star player movement because you've just got a lot of sort of roiling situations. You have a year left, one year left before the really harsh trade rules kick into place after the 23-24 season where teams over the second apron, like the Clippers, for instance, can't even aggregate salaries. Like they can't add up money to bring in a big money player. That's starting after next season. I think we could see a ton of movement in the offseason and up to the deadline and a ton of big names moving, and that's not to say Embiid, but I just think this is going to be a hot and heavy offseason, and people should buckle up. And for the Sixers, I mean, look, what else can you say? It's just a crusher. It's a crusher. The better team won the series, but it was there for Philadelphia, yep. and they couldn't grab it, just like they couldn't grab it when the Hawks somehow made the made the second round and it was there for them. The brackets broke right, just like they couldn't – couldn't do it when the, the brackets broke right with Miami for them and they dodged the like heavyweight fights in the other side of the bracket. And this is now we'll see what happens with Doc. We'll see what happens with James. Like it's all it can get up in the air real fast in the Well NBA. Doc and James sure don't sound like they'll be together again. Whether that mean you know, maybe neither of them's in Philly next year, but you know, James being asked about Doc and their relationship and saying, uh, it's okay, and then you know, ending his Media availability. <laughs> what was that? Yeah, how's how's uh how was that uh how was that shrimp tacos you got at the restaurant? It's all right. It's okay. <laughs> how's the guacamole? It's, well, it's fine. Don't want to order that again? Nah, it's overpriced. <laughs> Not a great review. The Philly, the Philly post loss press conferences. They're just like as much. You have to watch them as much as you watch the game. You just never know what's going to happen. And then the shameful aggregators, by the way, who took Embiid's quote, which wasn't awesome, but took yeah. it out of context and made it like look like he was throwing everybody under the bus. Why do we? I, it's just so. Dumb. And then everyone falls for it because no one bothers to actually do any. 10 seconds of like, let me actually see what the guy said. It's just awful. It's just like what's happening with some of this stuff is so bad. Any last words on this? I mean, Tatum, we should talk about Tatum. Oh, and we yeah. should talk about the Robert Williams adjustment, which I thought was long overdue. I've already mentioned that it worked, and mm -hmm. it's not surprising that it worked. And Tatum was transcendent. I mean, transcendent in in and totally unstoppable and just gorgeous to watch. It was an all-time great game. It's 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 – on par with anything any Celtic has ever done in any game. Yeah, it turns out that this lineup that was dominant all last season and allowed them to get to the NBA Finals, uh, once you dust it off again, is still dominant. So I, I might want to stick with that one. And look, man, Tatum, like, like every superstar is going to have some duds in the playoffs, but boy, he's had some phenomenal performances. I mean, you talk about the elimination game on the road in Milwaukee last year. I'm as impressed with the way he was able to drag himself out of an awful performance three-plus quarters into a road elimination game in Philadelphia, game six, and uh, just you know, light it up down a stretch, salvage to see, extend the season. Uh, that, to me, it's, it's one thing when you're cooking all game long like he was in game seven, but the way he was able to maintain his confidence and turn in a cojones factor classic in game six, that's as impressive as the 51 in game seven to me. 
there's all this there's this line of thought that a possession in the first quarter is just as important as a possession in the fourth quarter. They all count the same, and there's some truth to that. Just like there's a line of thought that game one of a playoff series can be just as important as game six of a playoff series. There's some truth in that, too. You win a game one, you shouldn't win. It changes the tenor of the whole mm-hmm. series, whatever. I, I don't buy all the way into that. Game six is more important than game one. A fourth quarter possession yes. is more important than a first quarter possession because you're running out of time. You're running out of margin for error. You're running out of of any available wiggle room that you have. And to your point on Tatum, Harden doesn't have a game like that in that spot ever. And when you have a game like that in that spot, when you have a game like game six in Milwaukee against the best player in the world – after a heart-wrenching Game 5 loss at home with your season on the line and you put up 46 points and single-handedly win that game in that moment in Milwaukee, yeah, you know what? I can forgive a Game 3 dud in the Mm -hmm. second round because you have proven it on the biggest stages. You have never gone 2 of 11 with five turnovers, let alone done it four times in elimination games. You have never said the ball never found its way back to me. What the hell am I supposed to do? Those games matter a little bit more, and that's fair, and that's the verdict on that. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. With a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. Let's change gears. Western Conference, round table, roundabout, whatever. Starting with, I don't even, I don't even know how to talk about the Morant thing. Honestly, for people who have been living under a rock, um, his buddy uh, filmed him in a car waving what appeared to be a gun, a bigger gun. The bun, the gun got bigger. Um, and as soon as they realized that the, it was the on the gun Instagram got bigger, the IQ got smaller. As soon as they realized it was on Instagram Live, which 
Look, I, mean, I may be, I might be too old. I just might be too old. I am too old. Why anyone would ever go live anywhere on any app for any reason? There, what is the upside? There, the upside uh, is, hey, you, look you at me, I'm attention. doing this. There, you, you want attention, and like, There's hey, no you, you got attention. You got attention. Here you go. You got a whole bunch of attention. It's going to cost you millions and millions and millions of dollars. Right no your, your previous Instagram idiocy cost you $39 million. He de and, and deservedly so. When you get yourself suspended for eight critical games, never mind that your teammate was able your team was able to overcome it. Uh, an eight-game suspension is should be held against you much more than a, a longer injury absence. He did not deserve all NBA. And I don't think he's going to be eligible for all NBA. I think he's going to get the kind of suspension that's going to put that 65 games played limit in serious jeopardy, if not just crush it from the, from the start of the season. I, I look, man, it's. The all right. So, so let's, let's slow down for a second because we do have to say, we don't know everything. Just like we had to say, we don't know everything. The first yeah. time we didn't know everything. The only hope here is that this is a fake gun. That's that's what I've heard from the people who are who are trying to figure out what happened here. The only hope here is that this is a toy. It's a fake. It's a replica. It's not a real thing. Other than that, and look, you can go back. We did this the first time. I mean, like the, the the hope is that, I mean, come on. If it, then why do you drop the camera? Whoops! You know, come on, man. Like I, if, they, just, if they're able to I'm sell it, congratulations. But hope. don't don't believe. I mean, okay. I, I'm not saying it's a reasonable hope. I'm just saying that when when I I've been cautioned by people saying just 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 don't like go overboard so fast. We're still gathering information, blah blah. Um, and I said the before, Grizzlies like, gathered when, information quickly enough to suspend him yesterday morning. They did. Uh, it's easy to suspend a player indefinitely when you're not playing, right? Like, so he's suspended from all team activities, which is like I don't know what team activities there are right now, but he is. You suspended know what? From it's that. also easier to say, hey, we're we're. Uh, we're aware of the social media posts and are looking into it with no further action. But the Grizzlies clearly wanted to send a, a message that they are sick and tired of this crap. As they should be. Um, look, I went over the previous gun-related suspensions last time. Raymond Felton, Stephen Jackson, who pled guilty to various firearms charges, got four and seven games, respectively. But this is, this is now... This is embarrassing for Adam Silver. It's embarrassing yes. for the league. It's embarrassing for the people he looked in the eye and said, well, I'm going to be a changed man. I'm not going to do this anymore. Um, and as you said, he got eight games, which was really two games with six right. already for time for, for retroactive during his rehab stint for anxiety and stress management, which was very, very short. Um, and again, unless you take really meaningful coping mechanisms and regular, 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 like weekly check-ins out of that, it's not going to accomplish much. You got to be you, anyone with any kind of, it takes years. Um, uh, I don't know what the, if it's a real gun and, and all that, I don't know what the number is. People can just sort of blindly throw around numbers willy nilly if they want. It's going to be bigger than eight. It's probably going to be, yeah. it's, I would imagine it's going to be bigger than 15 and, you know, at this point, we're going to talk about some of these veteran teams like Phoenix and the Warriors in a second. At this point, you know, it, it's just uh, six months ago, the future of the Western Conference was Memphis and New Orleans. And because of the top two picks in the 2019 draft, 
and Morant is putting his team into a crisis again, and Zion never plays. And these veteran teams who seem to be at the end and, oh, my God, we got to pivot, they can look around and be like, maybe we could squeeze one more year out of this because, like, who's, who's you know, yeah, the, the Kings will get better. Maybe the Wolves find the right formula, whatever it is. Like, there are other young rising teams. But, you know, I don't want to overstate this. Like, it's not – it's not like it's over for the Grizzlies. It's not like the Morant era is a failure and this is what's going to define it. He's young. He's got many years left on his contract. The nucleus around him is largely young. It will probably be fine in a year and six months. We'll probably be no, like, oh, look, but will you don't he know. ever now, grow now up? You don't, now you don't know. Now it's like, what the what is going on here? Yeah, will he ever grow up? You you cannot you cannot contend for a championship with a child as your leader. John Morant is a child. I mean, this is middle school ridiculousness well, it's over not and over ridic- and it's over not, again. It's, he's not a child, and it's not middle school ridiculousness. It's actually worse because you people could actually get hurt when you're me- – if that thing is if real and it's loaded and you're messing around with it, like it's actually really, really dangerous. What, what I mean by is this. This guy is so worried about being cool. Look at me, man. Life's like a rap video. I mean, it is, it is total – Poser crap. And you. Uh, so, from a maturity standpoint, yes, he is a child. He is absolutely a child. Well, and the, Darren the Fox is a grown man. I will take Darren Fox as a leader of my team 100 times out of 100 over John Moran. Jalen Brunson, I will take him 100 times out of 100. You can't have a point guard who needs a babysitter and expect to contend for championships in the NBA. And John needs a babysitter and he needs to get Devontae Pack. D-Tap 2, the guy who got banned from home games in FedEx Forum, the guy who jumped uh, the the high school kid that Ja decided he needed to beat up because of this career-threatening injury he almost suffered when a ball got thrown at him. Uh, Dude, this guy, he's got to go. He's got to go. Ja needs to figure out his own problems, but he can't, like, I'm sorry, my brothers know others, MBNO, we're loyal. Okay, keep being loyal to this dude and, and ruin your career because you want to hang out with a dude who's mooching off of you and making you, you know, not making you, but contributing to you being a fool on a consistent basis and costing you dozens of millions of dollars. Hey, man, that's cool. You're keeping it real. Congratulations. Well, look, ultimately, it's all on on Moran. Like, it's all on Moran. And the the in the thing that I just I for many many reasons cannot I just literally cannot comprehend it. And and there are lots of reasons for that. What makes John Moran cool is how he plays basketball. Like, yeah. That's what makes him cool. To me, um, and I think to lots of people, like you've you've got cool lockdown, man. The dunks are cool, the flying floaters are cool, the no look passes are cool. You don't need to be cool in any other way. Now why why he might disagree with that, there are reasons for that that, again, I'm not the right person to comprehend or talk about necessarily. But, like, he's got cool in all the ways that mattered coming out of his ears. He, you know what's cool? All this having, other having, stuff is just dumb. Yeah, having a signature shoe, that's pretty cool. And having, you know, I don't know what Nike's paying him, but it's a whole lot of money. And guess what? That's going to dry up real quick. You know, I said on the Hoop Collective, I think it's going to be the jaw one and done. I don't think there's going to be a jaw two because if you're Nike, why would you stick with this guy? You're 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 trying to market 
to like kids and, 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 and teens. And this whole campaign is oh family friendly. And the, and you, you want to go to strip clubs and wave guns around. And then two months I, I later, keep it, I want to keep it simple because there are a lot of issues swirling around this that I am not qualified necessarily to comment. on. I want to keep it simple. You have made a large professional commitment and a, and a team has made a large professional commitment mm-hmm. to you to try to win basketball games. You have other players on your team who, who most of whom make significantly less money than you, who have dialed their lives into trying to win basketball games. You are undermining that entire enterprise of winning basketball games by doing this. We can talk about all the other stuff if you want. There's lots of, there's lots of things to talk about, but Ultimately, this is an enterprise that is designed to win games. Everyone is signed on to try to win games and win championships, and you are undermining that. That's that's the discussion to be had here on a basketball podcast. And if you're undermining that in any way, you're shortchanging your commitment to the team, and the team has to – like this all has to be remedied. You're just not going to win. The team is not going to win – at the level they should win until this is resolved and changed and everyone can trust each other to like dial into the right stuff. You're, you're screwing over your teammates. You're screwing over guys like Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr. And Ty like Jones. playing with him on the floor, by the way, that should yeah. be said. Yeah, but yeah, great. You're not going to be on the floor. I mean, that's basically what the, and, and look, he was either, he, I know he was in Atlanta the other day, so they were driving. He was either in Atlanta, Alabama, or Tennessee at the time. They all have open carry laws. Like, he wasn't doing anything illegal. It doesn't matter. Adam Silver is not law enforcement. He's the commissioner of the NBA. He brought you to New York to make it very clear to you, dude, you have got to cut this out. We're going light on you this time. Don't make me come back with a hammer. And he's got wide-ranging uh leeway to suspend under the conduct detrimental to the league and and jives put himself in a situation where adam silver is either going to come down firm on him come down hard on him or is just going to make himself a complete joke let's hope everybody gets right and nobody ever gets hurt or as you mentioned prior allegations nobody gets hurt again and we all can move on from this um were you surprised at the rapidity with which Matt Ishbia and James Jones um, fired Monty Williams. (laughs) Matt Ishbia and James Jones? I mean, I ordered the names the way I did for a reason. Yes. No, because look, Zach, you you heard it basically from the, before the, the ink was dry on Ishbia's deal to buy the team. You know, and I knew, and people around the league knew, Monty Williams is in trouble. Like it's, you know, it's going to take a hell of a run for Monty Williams to to hold on to that job. And so to, for them to go out in the second round in such embarrassing fashion and basically a sequel oh, again. To, yeah. A sequel to uh, the, the home humiliation that ended their previous season. Like I wasn't surprised. I thought it might, they might give it a little bit more time, but I, I did not walk out of the footprint center after game six, expecting Monty Williams to ever coach for the Suns again. Uh, I didn't walk out of there thinking DeAndre Ayton was ever going to play for the Suns again. And I'm 
you know, I don't know percentage-wise where I am on Chris Paul, but certainly that's uh, in question. I was a, a little surprised by the speed because mm-hmm. the speed suggests his mind was essentially made up. Like, you fire a guy that fast, you already have decided this guy's not the coach for me. I don't want this guy as my coach. Well, I, yeah, I think he decided that a while back. I voted Monty Williams coach of the year twice. The mm-hmm. year that Thibodeau won and then the year that he won. So it's hard for me to sit here and say, well, I think Monty Williams did a bad job. I voted him coach of the year twice. Right. The record speaks for itself. The franchise was a joke, and he was one of the main prognostic, mm-hmm. one of the main drivers in turning that around, along with Devin Booker and Chris Paul and other people. Um, I thought he designed a really sophisticated pick-and-roll offense. You know, Chris Paul and I talked last year about – Monty's calling these really well choreographed set plays and Chris, who's a basketball genius being like, man, I never seen that one before. Monty, where'd you come up with that? Like Chris Paul saying that about you, you're doing something right. The culture was largely right. The defense was good. The shot selection was antiquated. A lot of that was about personnel. The Dallas series. Yeah. I mean, would you have liked to have seen them come up with a better answer for Luka Doncic running wild? Yeah, but what's the answer? This is a hard hard question to answer. The Warriors answered it better than the Suns did. Wasn't great, and obviously there was a COVID running through the team in Game 7, but you can't lose like that. You just can't. And you can't lose like that again. And I, and I, I will say, and I've said this before, I was a little disappointed with, the, with I think, the lack of creativity – in how they used Durant as a chess yeah. piece once they got him. And I think I was wrong in underestimating how much time they would need to figure it out. I just I, – I just Well, Andy got hurt, so what little got time hurt they right had away. got a lot smaller. And, and he's just such the ultimate plug-and-play superstar. I've called him many times the most fittable, malleable superstar in the history of the league. And it didn't prove to be that – I mean, like their offense was great. The numbers were great. But I, I, I thought it was a little simplistic, a little Chris Paul heavy before Chris Paul got hurt. Not enough Durant as a screener, all that kind of stuff I've talked mm-hmm. about. I thought in the Denver series, they kind of seemed unready for the Nuggets to put Jokic on Josh Okogi, and And they were slow to kind of adjust and figure out how to counter that in a way that it surprised me considering that was an obvious thing that was going to happen so yeah you you can quibble with Monty's playoff record the last couple of years and playoff adjustments and all that the guy can coach and you you damn better well nail this higher um because as I don't want to overdo the Phoenix thing I did it a lot last week going going solo on Friday um the window is 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 ain't going to be open long right with, with these guys um I want to go back to Chris can I, because, can I just say something real quick, though? If yeah. you're going to fire a coach, a co- especially a coach that respected and that accomplished, don't drag your feet. Do it and let Monty Williams have a chance to interview with a, a Toronto, a Milwaukee. Monty Williams is a hell of a coach, and he's going to be a hell of a coach next season probably for another franchise. So th- doing it this quickly gave you know really gave him a chance to move on and be a prime candidate for other really good jobs. And they and to your point, they lost Aiden. The Aiden situation has spun totally out of control. Yeah, it's time. And, and, and firing Monty doesn't save that. He well, like, yeah, both right. sides need to move on. And 
and the organizational discontent. Now, there was well-publicized, like, Monty and DeAndre didn't talk for a while mm-hmm. in the offseason and all of that. The organizational discontent, impatience, eye-rolling, whatever, with Aiton and the the quirks in his game go way beyond Monty Williams. Like, yeah. <laughs> there's oh, a no lot doubt. of people it, in that no, organization yeah. that are tired of DeAndre Aiton. You can see it in the game. You don't even have to be at the game mm-hmm. to see the body language, the eye rolling, the what the what is this guy doing? I do think there's going to be a tendency to pile on Aiton and say that's his fault. He's immature. He wants to be a certain type of player that he can't and shouldn't be on this team with three players who are better than him who all need the ball. And a lot of that is fair. Like if you're DeAndre Aiton, at this point, at well, this whatever. Point. Okay, fine. Um, if you're DeAndre Ayton, like, yeah, tough buddy. You're not going to get 10 post-touches a game when Kevin Durant and Devin Booker are on your team. Welcome to life. Yeah. Welcome to real life. Like, you're the number one pick of the draft. You're the guy your whole life. Not the guy anymore. This is not the way it works. And you've already proven you can get 18 and 10. Screen, mm-hmm. roll, dunk. Screen, roll, or not maybe not. Like <laughs> screen, ball, bring it screen, down. Roll, pivot spin, into a, a, a pivot. jump hook. <laughs> Everyone's like, "Can you just go up, big fella?" You know, like, do you need to do the There's a orange rim there. Go rip it off and get fouled in the process. Everyone's you while. can get your numbers doing that, but amid all that piling on, when a relationship spirals this badly, like that's on everybody. That's on Monty too. Like oh, you yeah. couldn't you couldn't get in a room and hash this out. That's on the Durant and Booker. Like, you're trying to win the title. You can't have any of that lingering in the air. That's on everybody. It's not just there's going to be a tendency to pile on Aiton, and he is the main character in this relationship gone bad. But that's on everyone to put their arms around it and figure it out, and they all failed. Look, they didn't want to keep him, but they didn't want to lose him for nothing. So they matched the offer. From Indiana. Once you've matched that offer, you better make the best of it. They didn't. That is on everybody. That's not like, dude, how do you not, as the coach, how do you not talk to the guy all summer long after if you had a very true, public falling out? If that's out? true, and I believe they both confirmed that it was true on the record, like, it's just a, talk, man. Right. Just like, it's weird. Just get on the phone. It's not that hard. Like, I know it's there's stubbornness and pride and you get tired of people, but... If you're trying to win, it's too hard to win. It's too hard to win for a playoff series to have anything like that in the air. Yeah, and look, say what you want about DeAndre Ayton. He was the starting center and a really good starting center on a team that was up 2-0 in the NBA Finals. Uh, and 24 years old, averaged 18 and 10, is a not a dominant defender, but a, a you know he can anchor defense. Uh, there's going to be a market for Ayton. Now, it's not going to be... <laughs> You know, it's not going to be like, uh, oh, multiple picks and prime young prospect. But I, I think for a team that wants to move on from DeAndre Ayton, they will have plenty. They of don't suitors. need multiple picks and prospects unless they're going to flip those for players who can fill out right. this roster now. And that brings us to Chris Paul. And you reported last week on the Hoop Collective. I'm not going to say Brian Windhorst in the Hoop Collective. I'm just going to say no, especially since Wendy influence. skipped our last episode. Um, that they were planning to quote-unquote aggressively shop Chris Paul. Chris has two years left on his contract at $30 million a pop. Half guaranteed next season, nothing guaranteed in the final season. And 
they're definitely going to look to trade Aiton. Like that's out. That's that yeah. we know that. The Paul thing is interesting because clearly Booker and Durant are going to control the ball, and Chris is just not going to be like a high volume, let it fly, catch and shoot three point shooter. And he's he's still a very good player when he's healthy. He gets hurt every year in the playoffs. That's baked into it too. He's still going to be mm-hmm. thirty eight soon. Already is. The reason it's interesting is if you just do the math. This is a team that badly needs to fill out its supporting cast, almost mm-hmm. all of whom is entering free agency. And it's going to be very hard for them to do that if they're over the second apron, the lead apron that is about to kick in starting this summer. Although it's interesting, the CBA is not actually done yet. It hasn't been written right. in full. It's not public yet. Um, with with Chris Paul's first amount, with, with Chris Paul's, I'm sorry, with Chris Paul's full amount, they're already up to 160 million for like five guys, on the if, if with Aiton unless they move Aiton and if they move Aiton they're bringing back money, and the second apron is going to be about 179, 180 million. So do the math. Like they're close to it already, filling out the team, and that's like you can't use the mid level, you can't use that, and so I think this is a money thing as much as it is a talent thing. And the other reason it's interesting is because of what I mentioned earlier, the aggregation rules that don't kick in until after this coming season and a team there are teams that can use Chris Paul lots of teams that yeah. can use Chris Paul for a short-term contract that you can get out of after one year yeah. and I mentioned the aggregation thing only because of one team I would look at and this is through no reporting I have no right. inside sources the Clippers have telegraphed that they think they need a point guard to run their team Russ worked out much better than I expected he's a free agent they're gonna have handicaps signing him that they don't have in aggregating salaries to get up to $30 million. That's just common sense. Again, no reporting. That's a team I would look at. And can Phoenix kind of spin that into like three guys that are better than Torrey Craig? Like that's the, that's the four, three guys that are like better than campaign. That's all. And, and, and what the, the Suns don't need more star power. They've got two guys that are capable of combining average 60, 70 points per game. During the playoffs, the Suns need to surround those guys with quality role players who fit well, and they need depth. But I mean, look, it's not fair to Kevin Durant in his 30s with his injury history to say, hey, play 45 minutes per game during the playoffs. Wait, hey, no, we need you to be efficient for 45 minutes. We, we, you can't shoot 10 or 27. You got to be efficient and play 45 minutes. It's, it's not reasonable. They, they've they got to improve their depth, but they don't need to do it with star power. They need to do it with role players who really fit well around two superstars, complement those guys and enhance their game. And so if you can break Chris Paul into, like you said, a couple of those guys, I think you do it. If, you know, there maybe, maybe a deal materializes, maybe it doesn't, but they've got to explore all those options. And then with DeAndre Ayton, I'm I'm pretty confident in saying that there's going to be a deal that materializes. I think they're going to have some options there. Well, tell me more about what you've heard about Chris specifically in the landscape, if anything, that might be out here since you kind of broke that essentially last that last. Yeah, year. just that just that the Suns have to you know it's like as you said they've got to explore their options. And you know the other thing is you're talking about as you mentioned a pretty small window with Kevin Durant while he has three years left on his contract hopefully he's playing at this level for the next three years but you know with CP3 he's 38 years old unfortunately 
it's not surprising that he's going to break down during the playoffs. It happens year after year after year. Like they've got to really pounce on this. There is a an absolute urgency. And and Ishbia, you know, he's been very upfront. We want to win a championship every year. That that's the goal every year. Well, it's especially important when you go all in to get a superstar in his mid thirties, as they did with Kevin Durant. And so, you know, again, whether there's something that makes sense or not for Chris Paul, uh, you know, that's that's the job of of James Jones and and Matt Ishbia and uh, you know the the rest of whatever that front office is going to look like here in a few weeks to figure out. But uh, that's the job. It's going to be it's going to be tough, but the the window is is going to be narrow, um, and they got to figure it out now. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Let's pivot to, um, let's do a quick Western Conference Finals preview. You ready? Because you got to go in about 15 Mm. minutes. I might have to carry it for a, a little bit at the end. Nuggets, Lakers, bubble revenge. And I have always, Tim McMahon, Always, since before the bubble, been on team. The bubble is totally legit. And anyone trying to retroactively discount it and say it's a fake title for the Lakers, fake playoff run for Jokic, fake playoff run for the Heat is totally wrong. And every team had to play the same circumstances. No fans. No travel. Better shooting backgrounds like loneliness, whatever, like everybody, every team had to play it. Those four teams did well. And there's going to be up and downs after that, but they're all back. I never was mm-hmm. like, I, I, for, for the sake of the Lakers, the heat, all of it. If anything, I viewed it as almost like a badge of honor that you went there and got it done. And so I never needed any sort of post bubble credibility for the bubble teams, but now they've got it. They got they're it. all back and Boston never went anywhere. This is going to be, a fascinating matchup between two teams who are big and tough and don't shoot a lot of and threes smart. and smart and do a lot of damage in the paint. And everyone is going to focus rightfully so on the matchup in the middle between Jokic mm-hmm. and Anthony Davis. Um, And I think honestly, and if you look back at like it's to, I, I rewatched some of that 2020 series just to remind myself who's where and what's happening. The Lakers played most of it with like actual centers on the floor, Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee, yeah. which they guarded Jokic and not Davis, and Jokic guarded them and not Davis. Mm-hmm. Well, this Lakers team doesn't even play a center, like unless right. Mo Bamba reemerges. Uh, I mean, listen, Anthony Davis is a center. <laughs> I understand. They don't play a, right, another a traditional center. bulky behemoth yeah. center like that. Um, the only players left from that Nuggets team are Porter, Jokic, and Murray, and Vlato Chanchar. Vlako Chanchar. Don't forget Vlako. And the only players Second left Second best Slovenian Lakers, in the league right now. Yes. 
the only players for the Lakers are LeBron James and Anthony Davis. That said, Contavious Caldwell-Pope guarded Jamal uh-huh. Murray in that series, and now he is starting alongside Jamal Murray. Jared Vanderbilt and Malik Beasley were on the Nuggets in mm. that series and are now on the Lakers, one of whom plays, one of whom doesn't. It's just a mm-hmm. funny little intersection of talent. And to me, I mean, we can just start right away with, who do you think the Lakers start? Is it Jared Vanderbilt again, or are they just going to go all in with Schroeder? And I think a lot of this, the matchups kind of flow from that decision. That, that I don't know. I'm, I have really, I have not put a lot of thought into that. I could see them going with Vanderbilt just because I could see them wanting uh, length, um, you know, because Porter like and and what's crazy is Porter didn't really cook in the conference semifinals against the Suns. He had a couple games, certainly the first quarter, I believe it was in game five, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but I, I think you need some length against him to, you know, you don't just want him to have uh, the easy ability to, to, to shoot and not see uh, a hand in his face. Uh, but we'll see. I haven't really dug deep in that. I'm just, I am so excited about AD versus Joker. Like I know that's the obvious matchup, but man, this is what AD's done just on the defensive end during these playoffs has been like unbelievably dominant. He has been like defensive player of the year level on a consistent basis in the playoffs, just shutting the paint down. I covered him against the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies, who are one of the best paint attacking teams in the league, could get nothing going when he was on the floor. Um, guarding Jokic, I think, is going to really challenge him and is going to pull him a- a- away from patrolling the paint like that because Jokic, obviously, look, he can run pick and roll, much less be the screener. He- he's as good as there's ever been working from the elbow you know, with the with the pass and the backdoor cuts and all that stuff. I can't wait to see that matchup. I'm glad you just said what you said about Anthony Davis because there has been a lot of deserved attention on the trades Rob Polinka made, or the trade, I guess, Rob Polinka made mm-hmm. at the deadline. Russ out, Russell in, Beasley in, Vanderbilt in. And that trade worked. The longer we go into the playoffs – the more it appears to have worked because of the subtraction of Russell Westbrook, more so than the addition of anybody else. The single biggest reason the Lakers are here, again, mm-hmm. is that Anthony Davis has rediscovered his defensive player of the year, although he's never won it, level right. form. And that is every night. Now, yes, the offense, some nights it's 35, some nights it's 15, some nights it's 22. Would you like it to be more consistent? Sure. Life for a big man is hard if you're not Jokic. Joel Embiid just had 15 points in an elimination game. You don't. Oh, he's not a, an on-ball creator from the perimeter. You're depending on post touches and pick-and-roll stuff and, and transition. And But the defense is there every night. Mm-hmm. And if he guards Jokic, and I suspect he will guard Jokic for a lot of the series, if not all of it, we can talk about some of the chicanery we might see. I do think he is the best position defender to do what Draymond Green did so well against him, which is on the pick and roll with Jokic, the Murray pick, Murray Jokic pick and roll. That's the dance. That's the centerpiece. I can drop back, not too far. Because Jokic is a threat out there, but I don't have to come all the way out like I did with Curry. I can meet you 20 feet from the rim, and I can 
I'm longer than Draymond Green. I'm super long and super athletic. I can disrupt Murray's drive, disrupt the pocket pass, and meet you, Jokic, on the catch and be big enough and tall enough that those little floaters you make are at least difficult. They're not little easy gimme shots. I, and if what you about, what about when for, Joker's running pick and roll? Well, that's a different story, and like he'll do that five times a game. That's not going to be a. It's not going to be a centerpiece of what they do. I and mean, that's just like it's really difficult to guard. You know what the answer is to that? You just hope Aaron Gordon doesn't dunk it. I mean, that's like that's usually yeah. the end game of those plays. And if Jokic pops out for three, which he will do, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anthony Davis is fast enough to get out there and wave, and he's nimble enough to. Stop on a dime when Jokic does his little slow motion pump fake and drive and slide back with him. I think he's like, because he's Anthony Davis, he's got more of a shot to just make it hard. You're not going to stop him. You're probably not even going to make him that inefficient. You just Mm got to make it hard. And the, the, the Lakers, when they have Vanderbilt and LeBron and Davis on the floor, they're so big and so Mm -hmm. fast that you, at least when you get into the paint, it just looks crowded. It looks crowded, and there are arms everywhere, and I think that's important against the Nuggets. But to your point on Davis, he's the number one reason they're here. And the second reason that they have surpassed expectations is not this trade, really, that happened. It's that they get just enough from everybody else. And the biggest reason for that is that Austin Reeves is a legit Mm -hmm. player Yes. And it's turned into a dependable 15, 16, 18, good defense, good passing. But yeah, Davis, Jokic is is going to be a lot of fun. And we're going to see a lot of it on both ends of the floor. Yeah. And and Joker's having, I mean, just ridiculous playoff run. Uh, the guy just had averaged basically a 35 point triple double. And, and uh, I have decided that I, I know who he is now. I finally have figured out he is the love child, the basketball love child of Dirk and Nash. He's a combination, a, a, a beefy combination of those two. There's so much Dirk, Dirk in his game. People think of Dirk as like a three-point shooter. You know Dirk was a mid-range killer who then was just so good at getting off all these kind of, you know, it ended up being the one-legged fade, but all the kind of funky angle shots, like as long as he can get his arm parallel what the rest of his body's doing doesn't matter joker's the same way he's just creating contact taking contact that baby soft floater and then obviously the passing he he, jock landale had a he was talking about he had a line that i thought really summed it up that's when he said he has a point guard's touch in a big man's body i mean i just unbelievably fun to watch and like i said the way ad's been playing i can't wait to see that matchup um, let's talk about the matchup matchups real fast um, before you go. Let's say Vanderbilt starts. And if I were the Lakers, I would actually start Vanderbilt just to get size on the floor. Mm-hmm. They could put him on anybody. I, I think Michael Porter Jr. makes the most sense with LeBron on Aaron Gordon. And they're going to dare Aaron Gordon to shoot. And Aaron Gordon's going to have to make some shots. And he's going to have to kind of slip and slide into open space sometimes when people aren't paying attention to him. And he's really good at that. And Jokic is better than anyone on earth at finding him when he does that. They could put Vanderbilt on Jamal Murray and say, we're going to try and switch some Murray-Jokic pick and rolls. We just saw him guard Curry. Saw him guard John Morant. Here's an out-of-the-box one. 
It wouldn't surprise me if in flashes, I don't think they'll do it a lot because it's not going to work. If they tried him on Jokic and put Anthony Davis on Aaron Gordon just as a way to protect Anthony mm. Davis from getting in foul trouble. Yeah. Because if Anthony Davis – foul trouble to either of these guys could swing an entire quarter, which could swing an entire game. Let me be clear. I looked at the film of possessions of Vanderbilt guarding Jokic. There's probably like 60 from the last two or three years in Minnesota and Utah and other places. It didn't go well for Jared Vanderbilt. He got Vanderbilt. stuffed into the basket. He's too little. He's too skinny. And I always think back to the 2019 playoffs in the series that the Nuggets lost to Portland when Terry Stotts tried to put Al Farouk Amino on him and invert the matchups like that. And Jokic was like, oh, this? This, this little guy? No. He's, I'm not having any of this. But I can see a world where they try, like, maybe we confront him and load help behind him and protect Anthony Davis. I don't think it's going to work. I think it's going to come down mm-hmm. to AD and his ability to withstand Jokic's postgame. And Jokic can bully AD a little bit. And AD has the length and the hops to, like, all right, you back me up, but maybe I can get up and challenge your shot, and the Lakers will send a little help. On the other end, if Vanderbilt starts – I could see the Nuggets, and they've done this here and there, toying with Jokic on Vanderbilt, Mm -hmm. Aaron Gordon on Anthony Davis. And then that raises the question of, wait a second, if Aaron Gordon's on Anthony Davis, we've got the all-time scorer over over (laughs) there. And they've done it before with KCP and said, let's see if he can bully us. Let's see if he can bully us. And I think for the Lakers to win this series, LeBron is going to have to engage – his bully ball mode at the level he did when they needed it against the Warriors almost every game in this series because the Nuggets are a level up in competition. And if they play around with putting Bruce Brown and Christian Brown and KCP on him, and they will, mm-hmm. he can exploit that. And you know he's going to try to find Jamal Murray. I mean, that's going to be point number one is where's Jamal Murray? Bring his guy to me. You're going to switch, you're going to hedge. You know, whatever, like he's done this a million times. I think they're going to need a little bit more of that because this is just this is just a level up. And I know you've got to go. Who are you picking to win the series? And then I'll carry it from here. Yeah, I am picking the Nuggets. Um, They've been the best team wire to wire in the Western Conference. I did uh, stumble off of their bandwagon as they kind of farted their way down the stretch of the regular season. Um, But having just watched them, uh, and I, look, I've got covered series against both with both these teams, but having just watched them mow through the Suns, I, I, I just think Joker's been the best player in the league for the last few years. Uh, you know, they, they've got pieces that fit really well around him. Uh, so I'm riding with the Nuggets here. Tim McMahon, you've got to go do some other things. Thank you for your time. I will see you down the road, perhaps in uh, Denver, Colorado, perhaps in somewhere else. Thank you, sir. Always a pleasure. Adios, amigos. Tim had to leave. I'm going to wrap up here solo because I don't have that much left to do. I am very excited about this Western Conference Finals. Tim made his pick of the Denver Nuggets. I will make my pick a little bit later. Let's talk about Denver's offense. Um, we talked about the Jokic AD matchup, talked about the potential for other players maybe to guard Jokic. Um, it's always a Jokic series with Denver because Jokic is that good and he's been a dominant playoff player his entire career. I will repeat this stat 
until my face turns blue. The Nuggets have now won six playoff series in the last five years. Uh, the Clippers and the Nets, after their respective free agency splashes of 2019, have won four combined in that same time frame. This dude wins in the playoffs. He hasn't won this round yet, and he hasn't won the whole thing. Maybe this is the year one of those things, at least, changes. Um, that said, this feels to me like more of a Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. series, at least as like potential massive, massive swing pieces. There, it's always a Murray and Porter series, but this feels like a series where maybe they are going to determine the outcome of the series like 5% more than they might otherwise. And I say that because Jamal Murray, like Davis is going to give Jokic issues as much as anyone ever could. Jamal Murray is going to have some matchups that he can kind of play around with. Like I would assume the Lakers are going to put D'Angelo Russell on Contavious Caldwell Pope and the, the Nuggets have ways to, to exploit that. I mean, they can run that. They love that little elbow action where KCP runs off Jokic at the elbow. Like, they got to make D'Angelo Russell work. Um, but I would, if I'm Jamal Murray, I'm trying to hunt him down too. Like, bring up KCP for pick and roll with me. You're going to switch. Like, I can go to work a little bit. And I think he's just got some some wiggle room and some friendlier matchups to cook a little bit in this series. And same for Michael Porter Jr., when, when the Lakers go to their three-point guard lineup or any smaller lineup that doesn't have Vanderbilt in it, really, I think we're going to see a lot of guards on Michael Porter Jr., which is a familiar thing. That's been a thing in the playoffs for, for a long time. Teams don't really worry about putting guys on Michael Porter Jr. who are six inches smaller than him because he's not going to back them down. He's not a He doesn't play bully ball. But he's shown a little more off-the-dribble juice in this these playoffs and late in the season than he has before. And he's just big enough to shoot right over those guys. Like the, the, he won't even see them. And I think his potential for a big series also is is critical here. And and look, I mentioned foul trouble before. Jokic has had a, a has been okay against Davis in the post, probably a little bit more than okay if you go back and watch the film. And the Nuggets will run little cross screens and pin downs to spring him and get Anthony Davis moving around. And he's just really good at when he catches the ball with a little space eat up that space, use it to get you off balance and make his little floaters and hook shots and flip shots right over you. Um, But, you know, the Lakers are a legit great defensive team. Great. Like I said before, when they have their biggest guys on the floor, there's just a lot. There's just a lot to get through to get all the way to the paint. There's a lot to get all the way to the rim, and there's a lot in the paint. The Nuggets, like, live in that little, you know, 8-foot to 16-foot area. That's where Jokic and Murray make a lot of their money. Make a lot of their damage. And the Lakers just crowd that area, swarm that area really, really well. Um, I think that's going to be a fascinating battle. But those two guys, to me, could have big, big series or at least a big, big impact on how the series goes. When the Lakers have the ball, you know, I mentioned the possibility of of Jokic guarding Vanderbilt in the starting five. I think we'll see a little bit of that. But he's just going to have to guard AD a lot. I mean, there's just no I, – I, I, I guess there are universes where they try to finagle the matchups where, I mean, if you look at the film, there's been past matchups where they've even put them on like Lonnie Walker or Austin Reeves or just anybody but Anthony Davis to keep him out of the pick and roll, to keep him out of potential foul trouble, to keep him out of the Davis matchup and put Aaron Gordon on Anthony Davis and KCP on LeBron or Bruce Brown on LeBron or whoever. And maybe, maybe we'll see more of that than even I'm anticipating. The Lakers know how to deal with that. Obviously you just, you're going to hide on Lonnie Walker. 
We'll have Lonnie Walker run a pick and roll. We'll have Lonnie Walker screen for LeBron. Wherever you are, Jamal Murray, same thing. We'll have your guy screen for LeBron. I think the, I would expect the Nuggets to try to go under a lot of picks for LeBron to just to try to avoid switching, avoid getting in rotation and say, hey, we know you got hot against the Warriors late in that series. See, you beat us with jump shots. And LeBron, if he's, he's a genius, he'll find ways to beat you anyway. And he knows what you're going to try to do. And he's outthought you two steps ahead before the series has even started. Um, and so I just think, I do think Jokic is going to have to deal with that matchup. Um, and AD has had some success on Jokic one-on-one using his speed. When he catches the ball on the left block, he loves to drop step baseline. And he's gotten kind of around Jokic and under the rim for layups and and ones. A bunch of those are on tape. He likes to face up. And go to the middle for little fadeaway jumpers. And then when he, when Jokic starts sitting on that, he goes middle and he spins back the other way. And he's had some success going against Jokic one-on-one, facing up against him and all that. And obviously in, in the pick and roll, I think this is a matchup where Jokic can not, not so – I think survive fine. Like I don't think he's got to come out too far against LeBron or D'Angelo Russell. We'll see him – Mix in some like really some some drop back coverages that you know the the Nuggets have historically liked to have him up at the level of the screen and get in rotation behind him and they're really good at that and we'll see that too but I think they'll see okay well, let's drop back see how that looks and see if LeBron can get a runway and kind of plow through him and he's done that plenty can Dennis Schroeder make enough long twos to punish that I think we'll see them play around with that strategy they've used zone against the Lakers here and there. For exactly this reason, we're going to take you out of your pick-and-roll attack, make you hit threes. I think we'll see some of that. Um, what's interesting about this is this is the number one rim offense in the league. The Lakers get to the rim more than anyone else in the regular season, and the Nuggets allowed the second-highest field goal percentage at the rim among all defenses in the regular season. Now, they've been a little bit better in the playoffs, but that's a little kind of battle within the battle. Um, a couple of things the Nuggets do have going for them is is they're not a high turnover team, and they've been very low turnovers in the playoffs. And I, th- I just think to beat the Lakers, you've got to keep them out of transition. And if the Nuggets can limit their turnovers, that's the best way to at least limit the Lakers in transition. And they're not a high foul team. They're actually, the Nuggets are quite a low foul team. And there is not a free throw disparity baked into this series the way there was when the Lakers – like doubled up the Warriors in free throw attempts. But they're going to make Jokic work. I mean, you can imagine when he's on Anthony Davis, they love to run that corner pin down for Anthony Davis where AD's guy has got to get around screens or go under screens. And if you go under, you risk X. And if you chase him over, you risk Y. And if you switch, you're toast. They're going to run, I would assume, Jokic through through that through that ringer uh, quite a bit. And, and LeBron is LeBron. Like, it's not every game anymore. When he just goes full on predator chess master mode, it's not every game. It might have to be like most of every game in this series. But even when he's not in that mode, he still controls the pace and the tenor and the look and feel of the game in a way that really almost no one else has ever been able to do. And you always know, even when he's in those phases where it's like, all right, it's Reeves' turn and D'Angelo's turn, Dennis's turn. You always know he's over there, just waiting to, you know, he's become quite a good cutter when defenses load off of him, and Denver will do that. Dart into post position when you don't expect it. He's always over there. He's always over there thinking. 
and when he wants to assert his will, he can. I think this is going to be a really good series. Like I said before, I think the Lakers have turned into a legitimately great defensive team, and you have to be a legitimately great defensive team to even have a prayer of limiting what this team can do. Um, it will be interesting to see how aggressively they double Jokic. They've mixed it up with AD on Jokic. Sometimes they'll send hard double teams. Sometimes they'll kind of dig and half help the way the Celtics did against Embiid. And a hard double against Jokic, it's just, he's just too smart. He knows where it's coming from. He knows how to exploit it. He gets rid of it fast. He doesn't overthink it. Or he doesn't have to overthink it because his brain is already operating at such a high level. A hard double is is you're fighting an uphill battle. Um, you're fighting an uphill battle against against him. And that pick and pop thing I mentioned before with Tim, when he starts to pick and pop for threes, if if AD's kind of becoming a problem in the post, that's another interesting little battle within the battle. Does he shoot a lot of threes? I think you're kind of happy when he shoots a lot of threes, even though he's shooting them well. Does does he get his pump and drive game going, or can AD keep that? in front of him do the Lakers start this is when you know you're in trouble when Jokic pops for a three and AD's closing back out on him and a third Laker kind of flashes into his vision almost rotating toward Jokic to try and disrupt that three that's death because that that boom that guy's cutting Jokic is gonna get hit him there's just a lot of fun battles within the battle even even the um non-AD minutes which have been really tough for the Lakers for a lot of these playoffs Kevon Looney like rebounded every single shot the Warriors missed when AD was off the floor. Just watch the substitution pattern in those minutes because AD's rests and Jokic's rests largely line up. Like we may see Aaron Gordon at center against LeBron at center or Rui Hachimura at center, whoever you want to count as the center. Will either team try to kind of change the tone of those minutes, win those minutes by putting their star big man back in the game against the smaller lineup and how quickly does the other team kind of respond in kind. It's always interesting to watch how Michael Malone handles the non-Jokic minutes. Is Murray out there for all of them or is he out there for only some of them because he wants to maximize their time together? Um, you know, and you want to say, well, they have a they could play one in Gabriel at backup center. He's got no shot against Jokic. I think this is going to be a fun series, but I am with Tim. I am picking the Nuggets. I think they're just I think they're just a little bit better. I think they're a little bit better and more of a complete team. Uh I guess I'll pick the Nuggets in six, because Nuggets in seven feels like almost like a shoulder shrug cop out, and they just did close out Phoenix in six on the road. They can win on the road. They're very tough to beat at home, and obviously they have have home court advantage. I think the Nuggets are going to the finals. And uh as for who they will play, I have not had enough time to dig into the Celtics Heat film and really kind of think about that series. We've obviously seen that series a lot of time. I would say the Celtics are pretty strong favorites there. But I'm going Nuggets, and uh, we will save the Warriors offseason uh, obituary for another day. I did that a little bit uh, last week when I mentioned with Howard Beck that I would bet money on, if I were the sort, on Curry, Clay, and, and Draymond all coming back. Uh, because they just don't have a lot of options and good luck trading Jordan Poole. And as long as Curry's there, you got to try to win because he's that good and they owe that to him. And that, yeah, that may end up trapping you into like a Dirk Nowitzki situation where it's just hard to make the team good enough around him because Draymond and Clay 
uh, are going to start declining and they just don't have a lot of optionality. They owe a pick. I think they'll try to be pretty active in the trade market with whatever picks they can trade and Kaminga and Poole to see if they can, you know, they talked about OGN and Obi at the trade deadline. And the reason I don't want to talk too much about the Warriors is because I want to see what happens with Bob Myers first. That's the first domino. And when that domino falls one way or the other, then we can really have a conversation about it because all those tricky negotiations with Draymond and Clay, they're a lot different if Bob Myers is the guy running them than they are if it's anybody else on that staff. They're a lot different. It's a lot different to have Bob Myers say, hey, man, we want to keep you. You're, you made this. You made it. I didn't make it. Joe Lacob didn't make it. You made it. We want to keep you for life. But. We can't, we can't give you the max. We can't even give you 30. We can't even give you what Jordan Poole makes, maybe. And believe me, the representatives for Draymond Green and Clay Thompson can recite Jordan Poole's salary dollar for dollar for dollar. And they're going to come in that room and say, you're going to give that dude who was just unplayable when it mattered more money than these guys who built this? Come on now. But... And it's also going to be an interesting conversation because you can't really – it's hard to say to them, well, if you take less, we can do X, Y, and Z because of the cap flexibility. That's – it's going to be hard for them to get to X, Y, and Z cap flexibility with Poole and Wiggins and all these guys making money. They can't really – they can't really make the argument. Like all of a sudden the mid-level exceptions available to us. And these guys know and their agents know. They built this. They built this. And if the argument is – it ends up being like, well, it's really just going to save the owner money. We don't open up that flexibility. That's going to be a tough sell, but I would still bet money on them coming back. But let's just see what happens with Bob Myers. Let's see what happens in the Western Conference Finals. And let's see what happens in the draft lottery tomorrow in Chicago. The whole reason I am here, Victor Wembanyama's real team. Next team will be revealed tomorrow night. I'm very excited. Thank you all for listening. Enjoy the Conference Finals. 